Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy, Literacy Podcast. This is Lori. I'm sure my voice is uh, stellar for podcasting today. (laughs) We are so excited that we could not postpone this podcast for another moment because we are talking with one of our favorite returning teachers, and she brought her entire teacher team and then some with her. So we're so excited for this podcast. So many teachers today. (laughs) So we're so excited to have Kristen Pop back, who was about a year ago that we talked to Kristen about the work she was doing in her classroom, moving from, well, she has, I shouldn't say moving from, she is in a balanced literacy district, but um, was herself learning about the science of reading and wanting to implement it in her classroom. And she has brought along uh, more people in her journey this year. So we have um, some other kindergarten teachers, Erica and Jackie, and they enlisted some help from their speech language pathologist, Heather. So we have a whole team here today. So thank you all for joining us. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> we know that there's so much to share about you know, your journey, and we can't wait to hear about how you work together. But first, would you each just tell us a little bit about yourself um, your role in the school and, you know, anything you want to elaborate on in, in terms of teaching um, and then your role on the team. Um, and I'm going to hand it to Kristen and then we'll just do like a pass off. So Kristen, you can just call on a friend. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, yeah, I've been teaching at Hanson for over 10 years and uh, I'm so thankful to get to be part of our professional learning community. We've got a great team of teachers. One of our kindergarten teachers, Marissa Bauer, isn't here, but we definitely want to note that she is a wonderful asset to our team. She is on maternity leave right now, um, enjoying snuggles with her newborn. Uh, Yeah, so that's just the best. (laughs) And how about Erica? Okay, so I am Erica Golden. I have been at Hanson for, this is my fourth year here. I taught two years in a different school district as well. Um, So I've taught kindergarten for two years, first grade for two years, and then a combined third and fourth grade classroom for two years as well. Um, So it's been really exciting to work with these gals to get to just know a lot more about the science of reading and see with my knowledge about first grade and where these kids are going, how many of my kids I feel truly prepared to be able to send to first grade next year. And Jackie? Hi, I'm Jackie Foyce. I've been teaching here at Hanson and in Cedar Falls for 20 years. Um, This uh, team has been really awesome this year in terms of learning about new things and new ways to prepare our kids. And it's just been great to think about what they really need when they come in, in terms of phonological awareness and where we can uh, push them forward as the year goes, like Erica said, to be really ready for first grade. Before we get to Heather, I just want to say, like, I love hearing how long you all have been teaching and, you know, how excited you are to learn new things. I think I said that to Kristen when we talked the first time. It's just really refreshing to hear, like, we've been at this for a while, but there's still so much to learn. All right, Heather, pass it to you. 
Yeah, so I'm Heather Monet. I'm a speech language pathologist in the schools. I've been a speech pathologist for the last 12 years. Um, I currently have kids uh, preschool aged through ninth grade. Um, at the school um, that I'm at with this team, it goes through sixth grade. So um, I've had a variety of ages and it's fun to work with all of them. So exciting. Thank you again for making time for <laughs> for us today. Um, Kristen, I want to start with you, right? We talked to you before. Um, so can you start to talk to us about how you um, got some more people to go on this journey with you and, and how that happened? Yeah. So at the end of last school year, as a kindergarten team, we agreed on doing uh, reading David Kilpatrick's book and having a book study on his work. And um, throughout the summer, I started reading about uh, a resource using a sound wall. And as I was reading, I really wasn't as familiar with the terms within the sound wall, um, like fricatives. And Heather can speak more to those that terminology. And I really wanted to at, use the sound wall in my classroom, but really wasn't sure about how to go about it. And so I saw Heather in the parking lot and I just said, hey, Heather, it was the beginning of the school year, right at a time when um, every, everything is busy and it's easy to kind of make excuses of, oh, everyone's too busy for these little meetings. But I just said, Heather, would you sit down with me and chat to me with me about a sound wall and how that would look in my classroom? And it was just so refreshing to get to sit down with her um, because she shared for about 15 to 20 minutes on her passion area. And I learned so much in that amount of time. And not only was she willing to sit down with me, but she was willing to bring that information to um, our kindergarten team. So we all had that shared common knowledge of um, just that little encounter that I got to have with Heather, and then she was able to share it with our team. So um, that that is kind of where the school year began was the work with Heather, and then also our journey of learning and studying David Kilpatrick's book. So exciting. Heather, do you want to talk a little bit about what that that moment was like in the parking lot for you? <laughs> yeah, you know, I do love collaborating, especially when it comes to speech sounds. Obviously, that's a passion of I love talking about that. So I was glad that Kristen had brought it up to me um, and happy to meet with the team to go over some of that um, and just talk about like, how do we produce sounds? Um, what kinds of things should we help students identify when we're teaching them the sounds? That's something I do every day and I love it. And so it was really fun to get to sit down with this team and kind of um, tell them about how I'm able to get the students to say those sounds. Um, maybe if they are not quite understanding where it's um, produced in their uh, vocal tracker. Um, just whether or not the voice is on or off, um, what articulators we're using, whether it's our tongue and our teeth or our lips, um, if the sound comes through our nose or not, if our voice is on or not. There's so many different things to think about when we're making sounds. Um, and, you know, even something as simple as using a mirror can be so helpful for kids. So I was able to kind of let them in on some ideas that I had um, of how I usually help students um, identify those sounds and produce them um, so that they can hopefully Hopefully transfer that over into their classrooms. Um, and so it was really fun to get to share that knowledge with them and have those conversations. And I really enjoyed it. Getting to hear information from Heather just about 
voiced and unvoiced sounds was so powerful. I had a student in my classroom. Um, he, he, I showed him the letter G, and for G, he would say K. In past years, I would focus on that he was confused with the letter itself, the grapheme. But this year, I realized with having that knowledge of voice and unvoiced sounds that he wasn't confused with the grapheme. He was actually, con- he had struggles with producing that voice sound. So we just spent a little time um, throughout the day, the days and a week, just practicing saying g, g, and being really silly, turning his voice on. And when I showed him that letter G, you better believe he was able to say G. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just the power behind speech and starting with speech. In previous years, I just picture it like in previous years, I started with looking at like a stem of a flower. And I was thinking of the stem as the letters. Kids were confused with letters. But I, I this year, I was able to realize I was missing the roots. And that's speech. And it, speech is so powerful. For, so starting with sound first, can kids truly articulate the sounds? And then growing from there. Um, that That was huge. Yeah. And so huge for you as a teacher to know the like you now you know where the confusion is happening versus like you weren't so sure before <laughs> absolutely it is and just and just having um i know heather showed us where you put your hand up to your neck and you just kind of turn the key to turn your voice on and then you um to turn your voice off so just having those little tiny tricks that we can implement in our classroom and, but it's so impactful for all students Yeah. And then also just to kind of go off of that too, is just kind of helping the students hone in on um, listening and feeling where their voice, whether it's on or whether it's off, putting their hand on their neck and actually feeling, does it feel like it's vibrating in there? Is is your voice on or is it off right now? And, you know, K and G is an example, or there's P and B or T and D. They're so similar in all these other ways, but it's just whether or not our voice is on or off. So when you start to talk about that detail, it really makes a lot of sense to kids and it helps them uh, to start producing those sounds. That, that throat strategy was really helpful. And then also putting our hands over our ears. That was, that's really powerful too. And students can really hear that voiced and unvoiced sound. Jackie has more to say about that too. I just felt like when we had kids, uh, when we were articulating, where's your tongue, where's your teeth, where is your voice on or off, even kids who knew a lot about letters and letter sounds were so excited to learn these new pieces that they were much more engaged than we've seen in the past uh, with all of our letter learning at the beginning of the year. So much so that we had families at conference time say, they're making noises in the shower. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm wondering, like, well, first of all, thank you for sharing all of these amazing stories. Like, please keep them coming because they are what make this really special <laughs> is hearing how all of this really hits home for students in your classrooms. Um, but I'm wondering if you have anything to share that might help us understand what happened to bring all of you together? Like, how did you get on board as a team? And what did that look like this year? We're fortunate that our district allows us to have professional learning communities uh, once a week, and we can meet on Wednesdays as a team. Students are dismissed early, so we can have collaborative time. Um, And 
we were able to do a book study for part of that time. And that's, that's how our journey really began with agreeing to a book study and really diving in and uh, reading one chapter a week uh, at home and then coming, coming to that PLC time ready to discuss that chapter. And, and it's not like everyone just had so much extra free time. Uh, we, we made time for it to be a priority for us to uh, study that. Marissa Bauer, the other kindergarten teacher, she has uh, two kiddos at home. Jackie and Erica, they've been really busy working on their master's degree. Uh, so we can't put a pause and say, oh, when it's convenient. Uh, we just really made uh, an agreement of, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is going to be some of the work and learning we're going to do together this year. So what are some of the things that you all worked on this year? Go ahead, Jackie. Um, I think the book study with Kilpatrick really helped us uh, think about what kids needed to start the year and where in in the past we would have jumped right into letters and gone, okay, these kids don't know letters. We need to start interventions. Kilpatrick really helped us understand that um, we needed to go back even further. We needed to go back to those phonological awareness skills. Um, we needed to make sure kids were hearing sounds, were producing sounds. And if they weren't able to do that, that's where we started our interventions. And that really made a huge difference for us. Um, we we were still learning letters in the classroom, but right away working on those sounds, hitting kids, uh, meeting kids where they were at, really helped us get those kids on the same page. And then um, when we were doing the letter learning, we were all able to uh, help kids, just pockets of kids who needed some help with those sounds instead of um, all moving forward without helping everyone who needed it. Go ahead, Erica. So I think it was really important for us to consider all levels of learners too. We have a lot of kids, um, preschool, they have all kinds of different preschool experiences. Yeah. So some of our kids came in not knowing even their letters. And then we had some kids who came in as readers. And so when we were all thinking about this, it's like, how do we make sure that we're meeting all of those kids needs when we're seriously only just talking about letters and the sounds that they make right now? And so there was a lot of work done too, for our higher level learners, trying to help them understand where they would see um, and apply this knowledge within their own books. So looking at looking for parts of words within larger words. And I think that we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But um, it really is learning that is applicable for all levels of learners, not just those ones who don't know yet. Um, when we were considering what kids needed, uh, we definitely had kids working through letters, but we also had kids um, who were sort of ready to move along a little bit. So we started, we thought really hard about, do we want to put books in their hands? Um, is that really appropriate for kids who don't know a lot of letters and books that don't follow uh, phonics rules? So we really considered what kinds of books we were giving kids, if we were going to give them books, and ultimately we decided not to. Um, we kind of looked at what do they know? They know a couple of vowels. They know a few consonants really well. So we're going to create something where they're putting those vowels and consonants together. And we called it a rhyme mat. Um, <laughs> so we had at and ad and ab and all those different parts that kids were just starting to 
see the value in putting a couple letters together and they would go, oh, that makes a real word or, oh, that's not a real word. But they were they still knew that they were reading and they were super excited to have this new sort of access to words and letters that maybe they hadn't seen before. There's such there's such value in meeting kids where they are at. Uh, I think of although our our resource that we we accessed it, it encouraged to put books in their book tub. We just pulled back with that rhyme mat because we wanted to give them practice opportunities with those letter sounds like Jackie was talking about. And, um, and it really, they really became to take ownership when they were able to see, I just read a word. And, and, and then not only that, we have to think about Wow, literacy is such a skill. And and with skills, you have to practice and you have to have multiple practice opportunities to get really good at it. And so they felt that success. And Jackie has a really neat way of sharing um, with kids how how you have to do um, really hard work. So Jackie, would you share that? I love that story. I would. Um, I talk to my kids when school starts about how humans, which, you know, we're all humans, like to do hard things for just a little bit. The human brain doesn't like to be inundated with hard things for a really long time. And so we talk about how, like, we sort of compare it to how babies learn how to walk. Have you ever noticed how babies take a couple steps and they fall down and then they go right back to crawling? They tried something hard, then they went back to something easy. And I said, so we're going to do that in our classroom this year, too. Sometimes I'm going to ask you to do hard things, but I'll only ask you to do it for a little bit. And then we'll, you know, put it down and we'll try something else out. So the rhyme mats were kind of like that for us. Um, We definitely felt like the kids were able to practice a really important reading skill. And we expected them to practice at the very beginning of their workshop time. And the kids who weren't real confident with that yet, we pulled them close to us. So maybe you had four or five kids around you, um, making sure that they got the right practice with that rhyme mat in case they weren't quite proficient by themselves yet. So they definitely had practice with us. And then we sent them off to do it again. Uh, but all the kids had a tiny bit of that hard work. And then they were able to look at, uh, like learn about the world books and things like that instead. And so it was really cool to have them all practicing, getting those practice routines in place every day for just a little bit and then trying something a little bit easier if they needed it. Other kids dug in, of course, but um, it was a really great way to start uh, getting kids looking at words instead of just letters. I also thought with Jackie saying that too, we really needed to make sure that we were going slow so that we could go faster in the future. So setting our kids up and making sure that all of them had those skills necessary to be able to move on to the next skill was really essential for us. Um, we still followed our district's curriculum, um, of course, but it gave us kind of a more of a permission to slow that down. We knew that we were going to get everything in um, at the end of the year, so we knew that we would be able to get our kids where they needed to be. But learning all of these skills and seeing how that skill practice would directly impact when they were doing rhyme mats or when we did put books in their hands. Um, Just after really being able to hone in on that, they were able to pick up books and be actually excited to read it. We noticed that we didn't have so many kids who were as hesitant in the past to pick up a book and solve tricky words or unfamiliar words or go ahead and give it a try, even if it was just the word it. Um, And so that was really cool to see. And it also just helped us determine which 
lessons within our curriculum were absolutely like non-negotiable essential and then which other ones we could spend a little bit less time on or we could kind of beef up a little bit with the knowledge that we were learning from our book. I love the idea of going slow to go fast, right? That's just so smart that, you know, instead of like, we're just going to push through the curriculum because this is what it says. And then you're going to end up going back to do some intervention with more students on some of these things. Um, and it'll be more frustrating for everybody in the long run. Like really, like, let's make sure everyone has the roots, right? Like Kristen said, before we keep going is just so smart. Um, I am wondering, speaking of going slow to go fast, though, if uh, because I think a lot of people are going to be interested in these rhyme mats. And I know you kind of explained it already, but I'm wondering if you can give like another <laughs> example or explanation of how those were used in the classroom. Um, so we had the rhyme mats. What, what we re- learned from Kilpatrick, uh, he talked a lot about decoding words and keeping the rhyme together, which I had never quite considered that. He called it backwards decoding. And so we made a very solid point that the things that we put on those mats shouldn't be sight words. They should be things that kids can decode and that will hopefully over time transfer into them mapping those parts um, of those words. And so um, we were the rhyme mats worked with just a bunch of tiny words all over the mat. Um, we probably had, what would you say, like 10 to 12 tiny words. I think uh, they're nodding. Um, <laughs> but I think that we tried that just to help them focus. We started with just a couple vowels. And then over time, we added a couple more vowels. And then um, the further we went down the line, we started adding blends and digraphs. So it might say est and ash so that they were working on those other skills as well. And the cool thing, Kristen mentioned that the kids really took a bunch of ownership. I feel like that was the coolest part to me. So when we gave them these rhyme mats, um, kids started showing us what they could do. So one of our ideas was to give them uh, like a magnetic letter to put in the front. So we chose a continuous sound like s or m mm, that they could hang on to as they tried to blend it with the ad or the at at the end. And kids started using that. They were having such a fun time, like finding which words were real and not real. But then they started going, well, I only want to make real words. So then it was like sticky notes all over their rhyme mat. And they're like, I want this to say cat because I know k and at say cat. And then they would choose a different letter for a different rhyme. And so what we were really doing was creating these practice opportunities. But honestly, we didn't know for sure where we were headed this year. So the kids started showing us what they could do. And that really helped us go, oh, they're ready for the next thing. And it was really neat to watch them just kind of, I mean, I've never seen kids reading words, writing words, changing words um, as much as I've seen this year. And they they were so excited about it. They just couldn't wait to show their friends this new thing that they did on their rhyme mat. In our pre-call, one of you, I think, Heather, it may have been you, I'm not sure, but um, said that you read something and the part that stood out to you was that letters are the language of the classroom. Am I giving Heather? Is it? Am, it's Jackie. Okay, I could. I knew it was somebody with dark hair in our pre-call. Everybody was really far away. <laughs> Can I um, ask you to talk about that and what that meant to you, and how that kind of helped your team think about some things that you're you were doing? Uh, sure. Uh, obviously, like Kristen said, I was men- I was working on my master, so there were some articles I had to do for some research, and um, one of them was just kind of a 
a general article about a kindergarten classroom. And the thing that stuck out to me was a sentence that said, letters are the language of learning. And they were talking about um, ne- the ne- the need for kids to know letter names as well. So we didn't focus a ton on that actually this year. Our main focus was sounds. But to me, that struck a chord. Like if I'm saying, oh, you're right, monkey starts with M or M says is letter M, they need to know what I'm talking about all the time. So we really were trying always, if I said a letter name and it wasn't already in front of us, I went over quick to the alphabet strip and I pointed at it or I found it on the alphabet chart so that they knew, the kids always knew that what I was speaking about was connected to something that they could see visually as well. That's helpful. Thank you for correcting my quote. (laughs) Um, So one of the things that struck me during our pre-call is how easy you said this all was. Like, not that, you know, it's, I don't want to undermine your good work, but you shared that it was fairly simple to look at your current curriculum, to learn more about reading science, and to think about how we could meet in the middle or where we needed to push and pull. Um, I'm just curious, what happened month by month? Like, can you kind of take us down the little road? Um, Because I think when you provided a little snapshot before, I think like a lot of teachers would be so interested, like what actually happened? I feel like you gave us a great background so far and like the first steps, but what happened during the rest of the the year? Like, can you take us on the the journey that, that occurred? I'll start first. So I think in the beginning of the school year, you start walking around the classroom and you start um, noticing kids that might might not have had preschool. Uh, you just start to see um, some students are still working on pencil grip. And I'm going to start there first because I think what we need to understand and what I started to realize was, oh my goodness, how am I going to move this student who sees letters and thinks they're numbers? Um, how am I going to help them get to reading at the end of the school year? And so what I what I started to realize when I had that thought, instead of making it an an okay excuse, like, well, this child didn't have preschool, or this child um, hasn't had extra um, resources at home. Instead of setting in those excuses, acknowledging, wait a minute, okay, this child hasn't had preschool, so what am I going to do about it? Where can I fill this gap? Um, I, I see a gap, and instead of turning it into an excuse, turning it into an opportunity of what am I going to do? Uh, so I think squashing excuses to make sure, acknowledging, okay, I see this gap, but I'm going to fill it. And how can I do that in a timely manner? Because we needed to squash excuses, but then establish a sense of urgency and a, a sense of urgency around you know what, we're going to be teaching these kids letter sounds and not only to knowledge, but towards proficiency. We want them to be experts within their letter sound um, knowledge and not only see a letter, but and not flinch when I show them a letter. And um, so what I mean by that is I show them a letter and then they can tell me the sound automatically with automaticity. And and also responding to phonemic awareness tasks with automaticity too. So those that was that tunnel vision again, David Kilpatrick's book. I'm going to 
uh, continue to quote him on, it really gave me tunnel vision last year on letter sound proficiency and phonemic awareness proficiency. So I think getting to have that common understanding of those two areas was important and squashing excuses and seeing them as, uh, oh, okay, the, I see this gap and I'm going to fill it. Jackie, do you want to add in? Or oh, Heather, Heather, I apologize. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, I just was going to say, Kristen, that um, the way, one of the ways that you did that, that I thought was really neat, um, was your sound wall this year. And I wanted to make sure you had a chance to talk about that because that was really um, neat and helpful. And I think that that was um, really beneficial to the students in your classroom. So do you want to kind of explain how that went down? And um, I know at the beginning of the year, we did talk about how some of the sounds could be paired together, like our P's and our B's and things like that. Um, so that's kind of how it was organized. But um, do you want to talk about your sound wall a little bit? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. It's so easy to kind of forget. Um, yeah, so just I had everything on the sound wall just completely turned around so uh, so students couldn't actually see any letters, see any kids' lips, picture cards. And then when we, the focus letter for the day, we would start with sound first. And I wouldn't even introduce any letter. It would really truly be focusing on what are our lips doing, what are our tongue, what's our tongue doing um, to produce that sound. And then I would show them, at that time we still had some kids in mass, so I would show them a picture of what a child looks like with their lips um, for making that sound. Um, and then later on in the day, we would get to unlock the letter by everyone saying that sound. So if we, um, I would show them the card of the kid's lips picture, and then we say, let's go ahead and unlock this sound or the letter. And so then I would show them the grapheme that's associated with the sound. Uh, and so just but also it can't just be wallpaper. We have to have it as a tool that students are accessing and interacting with constantly. I feel like that is something that I, I set a sense of urgency around too, of we're going to interact with this. But, but I don't want people to think that you have to have all of these high fancy tools to use because um, in order to pay attention to speech articulators. Because I know in like Jackie, Erica, and Marissa's room, they're still paying attention to speech articulators and they're using a word wall. So it is accessible for all classrooms. And um, it's just, how are we going about using the tools in ways to make uh, language accessible and bridging a gap from the abstract sound to a concrete letter? And um, I think the sound wall is so nice because it does provide visuals for kids' lips. Uh, but if if people are hearing this and they're going to be starting the school year and they're thinking, oh, I don't have a sound wall, what can I do? Just start focusing. Use your lips. Use your face. Get out a mirror and let kids look at each other. And and just, just draw attention to the speech articulators because that's so powerful. Um, yeah. That's, I was just going to say that's so helpful, Kristen, because I think we in education can often we get wrapped up in that, right? Like, oh, it's this, it's all about the sound wall. It's all about having those picture cards on my wall. But then, like you said, some people might have pictures on their wall and not actually use them. And then you have other teachers who, yeah, I might not have those pictures on my wall, but I, I can still get to the heart of what we need to teach with these sounds, even without those. Um, Jackie or Erica, do you want to talk about how you did that without the sound wall? I just think it was a purposeful discussion every day. Um, the first month of school, we really just spent getting to, we work uh, 
with phonological awareness skills every day. Um, we set a tight for our team to be on the same skills uh, practice with that every day, every week. Um, so that really helped us hone in on that. But then when we did talk about letters, it was just as Kristen said, we started with sounds in the morning and then in the afternoon or later on in the day, we would sort of reveal what letter we were talking about. And then we would talk about, oh, you know, Sarah starts like, and we'd go through that and kids would go, oh, so does Mrs. Sweska. And we would start just going over things like that. And so it was really fun just to hear kids excitement around the sounds that they hear. We did um, in my room still put student names up under, you know, each letter. Uh, but as the year went, I remember walking into Kristen's room and going, oh, that's so cool that you can move. Like I have a friend named Ashanti and I was like, her name's under A, but A doesn't say uh. So like, that's a little strange. But then like, how cool that you can move it under the sh sound later to help friends know that her name has another part in it that might help you. And then later on in the year, she could move it to the E sound because she has EE at the end of her name. So those kinds of things are just sort of interesting when you think about being able with a sound wall that it's really flexible, just like we really are trying to teach kids to be flexible with letters and with sounds in the end. Jackie, I think this would be really a, a neat segue into that letter. Would you mind sharing that letter you received from the parent? Yeah, we all um, were gathered at a PLC one day and I was like, guys, I have to show you this letter that this parent wrote me. We all kind of were in tears. So um, it said, uh, let me see if I have it right here. They said that when their kiddo was reading at home, uh, it was so exciting to watch her because it was like she had a set of keys she could use to unlock words and sentences and books. And I had her daughter a different daughter of hers last year, and we didn't have the same instruction, and I never heard that kind of feedback. So it was really cool this year to note that she, her daughter was bringing home every tiny thing we were learning and really applying it to books and was truly unlocking words and sentences and books and becoming a reader um, almost as in spite of me. I mean, we were definitely teaching her things, but she was taking these tools and owning them and doing work with them. And it was so exciting to see. It brought us all to tears because it was like, that's exactly what we're trying to do. <laughs> and it felt really, really affirming about where we were that time that of year. Amazing. So can I jump in with a quick question? I feel like, or Kristen, did you want to say anything or are you good? You go ahead with the question. That's okay. just fine. We can always circle back. <laughs> so I think if I'm a listener, I'm wondering, when did we start students with reading decodable books? And I also want to make sure that we mention what's happening like very briefly in the other part of your classroom. So I'm imagining that students are learning all of these incredible skills you have them working on the rhyme mats. They're unlocking all of these new things that they're learning and using them in practice. But I just want to make sure we say out loud that there are, I'm sure that you're reading other books aloud to them, and this is not the only literacy experience that they're having. <laughs> so I want to make sure that we talk about that as well. <laughs> and I'm going to hand gonna it over to you all. <laughs> yeah. When, when we said that we weren't putting books in their hands, that they weren't able to read, I was like, I don't want anyone to think that means that they weren't. <laughs> hearing any books being read to them. Um, Cause I, I'm imagining that's not what was happening. 
I would love to talk about that. Um, <laughs> we obviously do read alouds every day. That's, you know, the heart of every teacher, I think, is reading aloud to kids. Um, we do that every day, but we also do uh, shared reading. So we would pick um, like a big book that all the kids can see. Typically, you would choose a book that's just a little bit above their level. So it might have some words in it that they can solve. It might have some words in it that they don't know early in the year. I'd say that those books are not um, even books most kids can read because you're having this lovely experience together. Uh, we read it four or five times together, four or five different days. Um, the first time is just like they get to listen to me read. And then the next couple of days, we might dig out some pages and look at some skills in those books. And then a couple of times they're practicing with me. And we're also like maybe learning a new snap word that makes sense or a sight word. Um all of our sight words uh, were taught in context. And so if it was like we wanted them to know the word that, you know, we would pull that out of that book if it was there. Um, and that helped us really see the value of that word is already in this book, things like that. Um, but the shared reading experience um, is something that I, I know early in my career, I didn't understand the purpose of reading the same book over and over. Uh, but as you now get into especially what we're doing now, it just gives kids this this joy and love of learning. And then they can kind of check out that book from our book corner and really enjoy reading or retelling that book on their own and retelling the story. And they're just really in it to win it. They just love it so much. Um, but I did ask a student this year, I said, why do you suppose Mrs. Voice reads this book to you? instead of having you always read it to me, because I know that you know a lot of these words. And this one little girl raised her hand and she said, it's because you're like teaching us, you know, like techniques. <laughs> and I was like, yes. <laughs> I was like, that's exactly right. Because readers don't just solve words. Readers also use special voices and they pay attention to punctuation and all the things. And so it, it's kind of a cool place where we can experience being a really fluid reader together, even though on their own, they might not be able to access that book That's yet. That's so helpful. You know, I'm, I was a, always a secondary teacher, middle school and above. And so we didn't necessarily do the like read the same book over and over again because we were reading longer texts. Um, but I have heard that from younger from teachers who are teaching younger students that, you know, I've heard some some negativity towards it, even like well, the kids get bored of hearing the same story every day. I they're all shaking their head now. <laughs> Do you all want to talk to that to that a little bit? <laughs> Erica, go ahead. So kind of like Jackie said, um, you know, earlier on in your career, and I'm still pretty early on in my career, it was really hard for me to get into shared reading, especially when I didn't do that in former grades that I taught. So just last year when it was my first year of kindergarten, um, I had I felt like I was always going to Jackie or Kristen or Marissa and asking them, like, what skills are you teaching with this book? And I feel like that changed a lot this year when we started to focus on um, just parts of words that we knew or that the kids knew, because as soon as they were able to access or see smaller parts within larger words, they were able to recognize that in the big books since they can see the text. And so if you had a larger word, oh, I can't think of a good example at the moment. Like if the word helicopter was in a book or something like that, they would know that E-L says L and they would be able to blend it. And so when we were reading those bigger books, something that 
my kids would notice a lot. Like I just all of a sudden had kids being suddenly so much more interactive with those books before than what they were in the year past. And I think that a lot of it had to do with making sure that they were working on those rhyme mats that we were talking about earlier, because it started, not only were those letter sounds automatic for them now, but those rhymes were also automatic for them. And so the further on that we went in the year, the more and more my kids could actually figure out those words. Um, And so that was really neat, too, because that's something that all levels of our readers could also access. And it also became a place where we practice those phonics skills. So if in our classroom we were learning about uh, digraphs or blends, um, I remember a particular book, Splash in the Ocean, has tons of blends in it. So I would cover all those blends up with sticky notes and I'd say, okay, friends, today you're going to write the word and we're going to see if you have the right blend on your whiteboard. And so pulling in the skills that they are really confident with really helped those books come to life for them too. And then when they were reading them by themselves, they would kind of anchor some of their reading to those parts. Whereas in the past, I think we've been taught kids would anchor um, their reading to sight words. But I think our kids really learned this year to anchor their reading to the sounds and the parts that they recognize and understand. And pulling that out in shared reading really helped them do that independently. Just waiting to see if Kristen had anything. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I don't think we've talked a whole lot about um, sight words necessarily, but I think we realized this year the importance of putting a pause on um, teaching sight words until students had a really solid grasp and understanding of the letter sounds. Because when we would teach a sight word that um, contradicts the phonics pattern that we've taught them, like the word the, the isn't saying eh. And mm-hmm. so it's saying the schwa sound. And that that's that's not helping their practice and helping them solidify their letter sound knowledge. So we really realize that it's okay to slow down with sight words. And that is why we place the rhyme mat in their book tubs at the time. Because if we were going to provide a decodable text, even at that time in the school year, it was kind of early for them to have a book in their hand. You just think of like a weightlifter. You don't start out as a weightlifter lifting 500 pounds. Um, You know, you start small. And and so that rhyme mat, we were able to give them a a two pound rhyme mat and and then build from there and, and continue to then once we help them solidify their letter sounds by giving them multiple practice opportunities, uh, then we can move, then we could start to say, okay, friends, we are going to teach you. Jackie taught us this term about we, we have to be flexible with some of these vowel sounds and, and, and just letting students know, yeah, we have to be flexible and telling them that, oh, in this word and being very strategic with how we taught sight words or heart words, however you want to describe um, non-decodable words technically, but we connected it to sound first. Uh, Jackie, would you mind, I, I, I've seen, I, I've got to listen to how individuals teach heart words, but I really enjoyed how Jackie had wrote the word, had her students write the word out. Would you explain that, Jackie, and that process yeah, sure. Um, so heart words and, you know, non-decodable words was kind of new learning in the spring last year. We talked a little bit about that, which also helped us jump into this journey together this year. Um, but in my room, I think I just kind of took it as we need to focus on the sound first. And so what I would have kids do, um, trying to think of a good one. 
for instance, the word have. So I'd have the kids write, write down the sounds that you hear in that word and let's see, you know, what sounds you write. So of course they'd write H-A-V and then I would write the word have below it the right way and just say, well, this is how you'd see it in a book. What do you notice is the same and what do you notice is different? So we would almost anchor each little letter to each sound that they heard and they'd go, oh, we have to know that E by heart. Like, yeah, you do. We sure do. And then like the word of came up a lot um, when we first started with decodable books. And so that was something that was kind of important that they knew. And it was really a tough one to think about, like, how am I going to hook this for kids? So they wrote of, of course, UV. And then I said, yeah, that's exactly how I would write it. I often tell kids your way <laughs> is the right way to spell it. And and the way in the book is the way that you just have to remember. Um, that's the part you have to know by heart. So then underneath I wrote OF, of course. And I said, what do you notice? And they're like, none of it's the same. I was like, of course it isn't. Like, this is a really tough word. And so especially with small groups, I would keep that up while we were reading a book. So they saw the UV and they saw the OF and I matched like the the U is the O and the F is the V. And I know that's weird, friends, because that doesn't make sense. But it would help them. They'd refer to it a couple of times. Every time they saw it on a book, they'd look over at that little, you know, whiteboard and then they'd go back to their reading. But by about the third or fourth page, they weren't even doing that anymore. And it was like, look at them. This is amazing. And so now they're doing that all the time. Even when they're looking for word parts in their books, they're like, oh, this part doesn't match those letters at all. But I know that that's the part I have to know by heart. And they're very just like getting used to the fact that Every word in a book is not going to look the way it should. That's just so cool because you're so. validating. I mean, they're like, what, five? <laughs> I know. And you're validating like th their knowledge as legitimate <laughs> and almost like, yeah, that makes more sense. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and it's true. So that's so awesome. And I know I just saw a post from a teacher who she said that she wanted to change her language from rules, right? The rules of, of the English language to I hear you all saying the patterns. Um and, you know, some people are like, what's the difference? Sounds the same to me. But like, well, like you tell kids that rules aren't supposed to be broken, but then here we are breaking all the rules. But, you know, just, you know, just telling them like, yep, there, there are these patterns where most, you know, most of the letters might, you might see that the way you think it will be in text, but there are definitely words that don't. <laughs> yeah. I think it's that explicit instruction and that like very honest conversation that you're having. So yeah. like you said, Melissa, like you said, Jackie, telling them, talking about it, noticing, playing with it, and then giving them that reference point. Yeah. I also just think that built up a lot of confidence in our kids too, when we were telling them like, you are right. That's You're right in what you're hearing in that word. Um, but this is the way, like Jackie said, this is the way you're going to see it in a book, unfortunately. So you just, that's something that you just have to know by heart. And I feel like our kids were a lot more accepting of that when they knew that it was just one of those words. This is just a word that you got to know. Remember, we always got to be flexible. And so we always just kind of would keep using those phrases. It's a heart word. This is just something you have to know by heart. You have to be flexible. And because they knew they had such strong sound knowledge and letter knowledge of further foundation, they just were so much more eager to accept it than they have been in the past. And I, I think something too with that is um, looking at some of those words and trying to group them according to similar patterns. So when we taught, instead of just teaching one word at a time, teaching go, no, so, uh, teaching we, he, she, me, um, and, and just being able to find 
I, I believe it is Michelle Aaliyah. I'm not, might not be pronouncing her name right. I believe she's like a, an Ohio literacy lead. And she says our brains are pattern seeking, meaning making machines. And so when we can start, when we can start helping kids recognize patterns, their brains are going to start doing that um, independently apart from us instructing them. And I think that that goes back, Lori, to the point of why was it easier this year? It's easier because we are helping them practice the skills. We are helping them start to notice patterns around the world. And once you start noticing patterns, you just get thirsty and and just desiring more. Jackie has more to say about that. So just thinking about looking at patterns, one of the things Kilpatrick mentioned was as soon as you start teaching kids to map, so had is going to end in ad and your other words will sound the same, just like she said, mentioning sight words, he, she, we. Once you start teaching kids those parts of words that they can map, they will start doing it by themselves. And to me, that was like, oh, thank goodness, because I in the beginning of this learning, I was like, there's no way you can teach every kid every single part of a word that's insane to even consider doing teeny tiny part by teeny tiny part. But they started doing it, like Kristen said. And this is why we keep saying it felt easy, because kids did start mapping those words. And to connect this to what we talked about with sight words, we had very... I had very small amounts of sight word instruction this year, very small, um, <clears throat> more less than I ever have in the past. And I felt I was worried about it. I didn't check them on sight words until about February, getting ready for March conferences. And I thought, oh, gosh, <laughs> I mean, I've talked about these and we've seen them in books, but I don't know. Like, do they really know them? Because we weren't focusing on it. And so um, lo and behold... I pull out our sight word page and we've been using the same 23 kind of basic sight words for a long time, plus some fry words. And we, I pull it out and I said, okay, friends, what do you got? And every kid could read at least, uh, I would say the average was every kid could read about 12 words on a 23 word list. And those were the 12 that I had taught. And so it's like, oh, yeah, like we did it. Um, and so it was neat to watch that sort of grow. And I took a deep breath and I went, hey. It's because they're figuring out the parts of words. They're not relying on me to teach them what this word is called, what that word looks like. They really are starting to pick it up by themselves. And I'm happy to report at the end of the year, um, every kid in my room can read all 23 words. And uh, almost every kid can read all the other 40 fry words we ask them to read as well. So I'm talking if they missed any, they missed one or two. And that's so it's amazing. And that's, sorry to interrupt, that's not even including all of the words that they can decode independently. I mean, we're talking like as a team, we decided we're, okay, these are the skills we're really going to focus in for phonics patterns. Like we want our kindergartners to know how to read words with blends. We want our kindergartners to be, to read words with digraphs. Um, We will expose kids to uh, the I believe it's melded sounds. Is that correct? Correct. We called it slides like ing, onk. Um, and then we also, we expose them to our controlled vowels uh, because they've been showing us that they are ready for that. And um, also vowel consonant E uh, patterns too. So that's, that's what we have exposed them to for phonics patterns. That's really helpful. I'm wondering, Heather, if you have any thoughts about what you, if I'm looking, I think I'm thinking about the benefits. I'm listening to Kristen and I'm thinking about the benefits that 
as Kristen and Jackie and Erica are explicitly teaching all of this good stuff in their classrooms. It's almost like they're doing their job, your, your job for you. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's been great. It's, I feel like this year we've really had a lot of collaboration and I love that. Um, uh, you know, I, I might pull a student aside and just kind of listen in and get an idea of what their speech is like and then give them ideas for them to implement in the classrooms. And it's working. Um, you know, I've had several students this year where in the past I may have picked up that student. Um, however, this year they've just made so much progress in their classroom. I haven't needed to. They are ready to go. They've got their sound. So it's really exciting to see the progress just from doing these techniques in the classroom. Um, I've seen some great things this year um, and more than any other year, uh, you know, so it, it has been helping um, speech wise as well. So it's been really exciting to see this year. We, I, I can't say enough. I, I think at the beginning of this podcast, they didn't do enough justice of how critical it is to get to tap into the knowledge of a speech and language pathologist. We have been so fortunate to have Heather, uh, her willingness to share strategies with us and just tiny, tiny things that make such a big impact. I know I've said that before, but it's true. I mean, just when doing phonemic awareness tasks, if you have an object um, that you're using uh, to hold it next to your mouth for making a sound. So kids not are only not only are they paying attention to the object, but they're paying attention to your lips and the placement of speech. Um, just just providing us tricks like that that we can implement whole class. We we've got to see the benefit of that. Are there any other that? that have like worked really think, well. Sorry, Jackie. I was like getting excited with Kristen's example and hoping someone no. would jump in and you beat me to it. <laughs> I'm so sorry to interrupt. I think that whole conversation around look here at my mouth has been really profound for some of the kids Heather's talking about, but also for your whole class. And I think the language in my room has shifted a little bit when we're writing, you know, silly words like uh, sat and dap and all the crazy things you write just to practice. But they it's always like, oh, I didn't say dab. I said dap. Watch my mouth. Listen, where's your voice at? And getting them to focus every time they write on all of those pieces. And one student in particular that um, Heather was seeing uh, from my room had a really hard time with uh, blends, uh, S blends in particular, speaking those words. And when we got to the blends part, I think the writing of it and the focusing on it for her slowing it down really made a huge difference. And I used to talk to kids about I still, I just did it today. Talk to kids about how that sound moves back and forth in your mouth. Um, I was talking to a kid yesterday about the word extinct. Talk about a tricky one. And he was going, uh, he kept calling it a stink. Seems logical. And I was like, what are you saying? Right. I said, a sting. And I said, oh, the dinosaur is extinct. I said, let's talk about that. So we talked about how it starts in the front of your, the eh in the front and the X in the back. And we kind of went back and forth. I said, notice how you have to move that sound around in your mouth. And he then was saying X, he got X, extinct. And I was that like, is tough. That is tough. <laughs> so you got to take it right from the back to the front. And he was like, oh, but he stuck with me and he wanted to learn it. And I think that helps like all kids just notice and recognize what's happening in your mouth and why when you say it, it sounds different than when I say it. And let's get on, you know, let's practice and get better. And they really did. And I, I'm, I'll pass it to you in a second, Heather. I just want to say like, 
we we just had a teacher with a librarian on and I talked about how like underutilized the librarians are in schools. But I think like same for speech language pathologists. I think we, you know, often are like, you know, oh, I have a student that needs help. <laughs> can, can you help them? Um, but this idea too of like, I mean, what you just talked about, Jackie, of like where the sounds are in your mouth, not all teachers might know that. And a speech language pathologist does, right? So if you don't, like, that's a great place to go and and get some help and get, you know, actually learn from them. So Heather, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, I just wanted to say, um, yeah, you have um, hit the nail on the head there. The collaboration has been key. And it's just been so fun to see um, this kindergarten teacher, this group of kindergarten teachers um, get invested like this um, and pick up some of those things that I have talked about and share them with their students. Um, I'm seeing the impact and it's just exciting to see that. Um, So I'm so thankful. And um, I guess I just want to like give a shout out to other SLPs to get involved in your kindergarten teams too, because I think it really is helpful. Um, and it's it's been really fun to get to join this team and collaborate this year because we're really seeing the benefit of it. And what a powerful foundation to get to start. I mean, it, I, I think that's a great shout out to SLPs to say, yeah, get involved with your kindergarten uh, team teachers because that's where we want to, to get them to. And I, I also want to Shout out to preschool teachers and how powerful preschool is in uh, getting to set an, a, a foundation with language, acting out stories and understand that, yeah, let's play with our language. Let's let's act out stories. Jackie, you probably could express this a lot better. I'm going to pass it off to you, even though you're not raising your hand. We talk a lot, Kristen and I and Erica, all of us with preschool about, you know, nursery rhymes, play with sounds, do songs, like sing together, um, play the funny games like the Willoughby Wallaby Woo. That just helps kids play around and notice what parts of sounds are this, our words are the same, what parts are different. The kids love when you say, you know, an elephant sat on Wiston instead of Kristen. And then, I mean, just that playfulness around sounds with all kinds of books and nursery rhymes would help them coming into kindergarten to be ready to then focus on why those sounds are different. Yeah, that's such a good point. I actually, I have a three-year-old at home, so I'm starting to see some of, <laughs> some of these things happening. Um, but it was, you know, yesterday they learned the letter P, which I'm like, I don't, I don't know that in... PK three, they need to be learning the letter P. <laughs> but he did. He was like, uh, he said his friend's friend Poppy. Her name starts with P. And then we just started listing things that started with like started with the P sound. And it was like I was like, this is kind of fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, I do. I mean, I know that there's way more fun ways to do it. But it was it was definitely fun to just like let's play with words with him. <laughs> Thank you for doing that with her. So is there anything else about the collaboration that we haven't touched on yet that you all want to make sure that our listeners hear? I think it's just so crucial that you all are willing to work as a team and learn from each other because a lot of times what would happen is we would read a chapter, but we would all pull um, different things from the chapter of the book that we were doing our book study on. So just making sure that you're having that continuous conversation and we would all kind of take turns sharing what we pulled out of the chapter. And it turns out like none of us were pulling the same things out of the chapter. So what I thought was really important, um, Jackie might've noticed something totally different that stuck out to her and Kristen pulled out something totally different that was important to her. And so then 
being able to hear what was really important and stood out to all of us put a lot of weight on all of those different components. And we were able to just work together to ensure that we were able to uh, put that into our classroom, like actually put it into practice right away and making sure that we were being proactive in helping our kids rather than reactive to what they were struggling with. I totally agree. Um, And I think what you're saying, Erica, is those pieces that we pulled out really helped us gain a common understanding of what we understood about uh, pre-reading skills and what we understand about what kids need in terms of alphabetic principle to be able to move forward. Um, We talk a lot about that. We we didn't know where we were going this year. Um, We knew what we thought we needed them to do. And because of that, we made some really important moves this year to to sort of, I think, in a way, protect our kids from something they weren't ready for, but also push them really hard for the things they were ready for. And I think that kind of ebb and flow uh, with the learning we did with Kilpatrick really helped our kids and our team come to a common understanding and make a common plan and start with some common goals that really helped our kids flourish this year. I just have to say, you guys make me want to teach kindergarten, which I've (laughs) never even thought about teaching. (laughs) It's pretty fun down here. We'll just keep going. (laughs) I did want to say, if you don't mind, um, Lori did ask a question about kind of the timeline for the year. And I know Krista and I, we didn't really want to talk too much about that, but I think it is probably a question people are wondering a little bit. So um, I just, what we ended up doing was we spent most of September really getting to know our kids, digging into phonological awareness. Uh, We did assessments around phonological awareness and right away we put kids in interventions around phonological awareness. Um, We weren't concerned about letters yet because we hadn't done enough of that learning in our room. But round about the end of September and October is when we were really pushing hard that, okay, this is something you need to know. All kids are practicing letter sounds and um, not necessarily names, but the sounds that they needed. And then um, that's when we started putting kids in intervention for letters. So when we did that, we were very purposeful in grouping kids with um the letter sounds that they didn't know. So we weren't putting kids in groups where they already knew some of those letter sounds. And then um, November is when we started the rhyme map. So that didn't happen until November. That was after we had some classroom experiences with blending, uh, putting consonants and vowels and consonants together. So we had some classroom experience with that. Then we gave them the rhyme map. And then we didn't put them into codable books until December. And we were very careful about the books that we chose. Kristen, you want to go ahead? Even before placing them within those decodable texts, I think we were intentional with how we taught kids whole group, how to have blend, how to blend words together. Um, We, we would, whether it was blending a real word or a nonsense word, we use connected blending activities or a connected blending routine. So what that looked like was um, of students would sing sounds. So then it wasn't in isolation. Students would just come understanding with an understanding. Oh, we can just hold those sounds together and we can make a real word. We can make a pretend word. And the student that comes to mind, I, he confused uh, letters as numbers at the beginning of the school year. And when I sat down with him just to read some CBC words, he just 
connected all of those CVC sounds together because that's what we did whole group. And he did that. He read those words with automaticity because he didn't know any different. That's how um, we structured our blending routine. And I think that that blending routine was very powerful. So we did blending. And then Jackie, if you want to wrap up with what you were Yeah. And even when we gave them those decodable books, they were very purposeful, um, all words that they could decode. We started with some passages and quickly found out they had words like put and has and things that didn't follow those phonics expectations that they had. So we pulled those pretty fast and then kind of went backwards a little bit to really holding just the ones that they could read. But then we continued practicing as a class, adding blends, adding digraphs. So their rhyme mat changed as well. So they were practicing blends and digraphs within those tiny words. And once they started gaining some momentum there, that's when we really started talking about vowel sound flexibility. We learned about short and we had always learned about short vowels, but that was about when we introduced long vowels. Um, And then in January, in my room, I started using Elkonin boxes, and I think the other classrooms use them a bit sporadically, but that really helped us break sounds down and talk about the difference between uh, sh being one sound in one box, but st being two sounds in two boxes, and the difference between blends and digraphs in that way. And that kind of helped set kids up for some harder books uh, in their book tubs as well. And then after that, it just sort of takes off. <laughs> I mean, like, then it's just like, what can we do to keep them engaged, to keep them reading, to keep them learning? Because at that point, they were just ready to go. And so it was just neat to see that transition. But in case somebody wants to know, how soon did you give them books? We really didn't put kids in books until... December. And even then they were very controlled. And our kids who were reading probably had books, um, but we were expecting some different things out of them. Uh, Looking for parts, prove it to me that you know that that word says that that kind of conversation would have been different with those kids who are already reading. Do you remember when it was we started adding pizza words? Pizza words. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, A project, I I think it was Project Read, a resource that I had at uh, my old school that I taught at. Uh, They they use the phrase jelly bean words and elephant words. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And jelly bean words are words you can just pop in your mouth and say the entire word just in a snap. And elephant words you... But we call them pizza words because you wouldn't eat an elephant. So we just changed it to pizza words because you eat pizza, but you don't eat the whole pizza. You eat it a bite at a time. So we just talked about like we just talked about what are the parts, you know, do you notice blends, digraphs, rhyme? What rhymes do you know? Do you notice tiny words inside the pizza word? Um, And so that's that was a component. But I'm not sure when about we started adding that within. Um, and we would, Jackie had the idea of just giving students one long pizza word and, um, and then them being able to find those parts that they recognized. So Erica. Yeah. And I feel like that's when a lot of my kids who had been struggling, they, they could figure out those jelly bean words, you know, but it was just when they recognized, oh, if I put a bunch of jelly bean words together, it can actually make a pizza word. That's when a lot of my kids who had been struggling in the past found a lot more meaning than what they had previously been finding. So I think of one kid in particular, he came in not even knowing the first letter of his name. He didn't know any letters of the alphabet, um, no letter sound knowledge, no letter name knowledge, nothing. Um, 
And because that was so engaging for him and exciting for him to see, look at all these little parts within a big word that I can read. Then it was just all of a sudden he could read all of these bigger words and he's in one of my highest reading groups um, at this point in the year. So he's felt very successful after knowing that. And I think it um, also held our higher kids accountable for words. I know uh, within our professional learning community conversations, we we have a lot of kids that did come in reading. However, they might not have been able to explain to us why is it that this vowel says E in um, this word, and they wouldn't be able to call out that phonics pattern. And so we wanted to start helping our higher kids be able to prove to us. And Jackie um, and Erica, they do such a nice job of saying, prove to me, why is it that this word, this part here says this? And um, yeah, Erica. I do have a story about that, about a student. She came in reading at a pretty high level. And this girl, um, since the beginning of the year, has kind of been notorious for rolling her eyes at me whenever I would tell her um, that she that she did need to know these things. You need to become an expert at jelly bean words or just little rhymes that you see in words. And uh, I would find in class she was often not uh, paying attention to these things. And I asked her about it, and she said she didn't think that she needed to because she already can read all these big words. And so one day I was sitting down with her during private reading time and I was just listening to her read a few words and she was reading a book about eagles and it got to a page about, it said something like eagles have long talons, but she read eagles have long toenails. And so like in her mind, that probably made sense. And it was, there was a picture, you know, it matched the page and everything, which wasn't a strategy that I had taught them to do, um, to look at the picture or anything. And so when I said, hold on, what is that word? Why do you think that that says toenails? And so then she just kind of looked at me and she looked back at the book um, and she was just silent for a while. And I said, oh, like what strategies could we use to figure out what that word actually says? And she was able to go back and actually reference strategies that we had talked about within class. And we were able to go through and locate all those tiny word parts that she originally didn't think she needed to know. And so just having giving her that experience of here's why you do absolutely need to know these and practice these things and be able to see them in those larger words that most of the time, yeah, you can read, but what are you going to do when you come to a word like this that you don't know? That really solidified things for her. Uh, As secondary teacher, thank you. (laughs) Really thank you for that. I'm just looking through like my lesson plans and things to try to find when we started that. I don't think we started that till about March, April, because what we were noticing was sometimes at this point in the year, kids were very flexible with vowel sounds. And what we were noticing is they were putting the long vowel sound inside of a CVC word. And so we were like, whoa, we need to differentiate between a CVC word that always has a short sound and other words that sometimes might have a different vowel sound. So we started the talk around what Kristen mentioned, the jelly bean words, and it stuck instantly. 
I mean, our kids were like, every time I have a word up, no matter what, they're like, that's a pizza word. And I'm like, yeah, you have to work a little bit harder on that one. But it helped really solidify that jelly bean words, you can eat it in one bite. It's really fast. And you know this like the back of your hand. This is not a word you have to study. This is not a word you have to work hard on. This is a word that you have been reading since October, you know. And so that just helped them a whole lot. And I think, Erica, you're right. As soon as we started those pizza words, we were expecting kids to be able to look for all those components, the rhyme, the blend, the digraph, and also what other rules do you see? Do you see rhymes? Do you see um, slides? Do you see a bossy E somewhere? What else do you see that proves to you that this is the right spelling? And then it also really helped them... um, not spelling, this is the right word that you just read, Uh, but it also really helped them kind of, um, Kristen used to talk about the approximation. So when you read a word, like I had kids today reading the word compete, and I was like, that's right. Does that sound like, and then eventually they were like, oh, compete. And I was like, yeah. So it helped them to kind of get some practice around that. Not every word you read phonetically is going to be quite perfect, but if they can almost hear that word, it's going to help them out too. Jackie, I can't remember that exact word. Um, would you mind sharing that activity that you created uh, where you had about four different words on a whiteboard and she color coded the words and um Yeah, she color coded the words and then students had to really pay attention to um, what the word was. She's showing an example right now. Um, Jackie, would you share a little bit about that? (laughs) Yeah. So once we got really good at all of this stuff, um, it was like, what else can I do to keep them focusing on the stuff that they know and not kind of get lackadaisical around it. And so what we did, um, we talked, uh, Kilpatrick talked a lot about lookalike words. First in kindergarten, in the beginning, you can talk a lot about lookalike letters, P, B, D, Q, all of those. Um, but then this was kind of lookalike words. So I had four words um, on a piece of paper. Each was a different color. And my word might be blast. So they're looking for lots of sounds that they know. Um, But on the board, I also have blist, bats, and blots. So what I'm forcing them to do is look, A, for the beginning sound blend, because not all of them have it, but also forcing them to look through the whole word, which Kilpatrick talked about a lot, not just children of this age have a tendency to rely on the beginning sound of words, and we want to always be pushing them to look through the whole excuse me, the whole word. And so this really forced them to do that. And it was super duper fun. So I'd hold it up and I'd say, okay, friends, you have three seconds and I'd, or five seconds and I'd count it down on my fingers. And then I'd put it down and say, what color was the one that said blast? And they would all have a different color, of course. And I'd say, oh, some of us are close. Some of us are not. Let's look again. And then I'd only give them three seconds. And this Mm -hmm. was, I mean, April, May time, like when they're really good with all of this stuff. Um, But we would almost always come to consensus. And then we would talk about why we knew that one was right and why maybe the first word you chose wasn't. How? What made you change your mind that it wasn't the green word and it was the blue word after all? And that was a really neat conversation. They'd have to 
use the language, oh, there wasn't a blend there, or the digraph was wrong, or the vowel sound wasn't right. And so that was really cool um, to hear them really work through that. And that's been something that's kind of kept our interest here nearing the end of the year uh, with whole group phonics. phonics It actually reminds me of Erica's toenail example, right? Because it's like, oh, yeah, you got you got a few of those sounds in there. So, so it's close enough. But if you really look at it closely and really think about what all the sounds are, then no, it is not correct. Yeah, that's such a great one. And I love that you all are like, continuing to do more, right? Even if your students are finding success and feeling like maybe they, I don't know, have they reached what they need to in kindergarten already? But like, how can you keep pushing them? That's really exciting. Can you all talk a little bit about that? Actually, Kristen, I know on our first call, that was a big um, thing we talked about was that, you know, 100% of your students had met what they needed to for kindergarten. And just wondering, is that, is that the same this year for you all? Yeah. So, um, in the fall, we had, I believe it was about 85% on our universal screener that were proficient. And in winter, we had we hit 99% proficiency uh, across our entire kindergarten team. And that that's just so powerful to uh, be able to say, okay, we've been progress monitoring these kids. We've been providing interventions at just their right level. Uh, the letter sound intervention what do you think it was based on? It was based on sound first. Uh, and and I, so what that looked like within that letter sound intervention for the kiddos that we were progress monitoring um, in the fall, th- we would sh- we would show, say, a picture uh, like tent. And if they were working on the letter T, so tent. Now, what sound do you hear in tent? And they would either point, is it to the letter T or to the letter M? And then they would point to the T and then we would have them write to the letter T either on a, on the right board or write it in the, um, on their hand as they're saying the t, t sound. And then we would pull that those letters away because we didn't want it to become wallpaper. It was just a quick commercial of what the grapheme was. And then we would take it away and focus on sound. So getting back to the data, in fall, we had 85% proficiency. In winter, we had 99% proficiency. And then, then in spring, we maintained that 99% proficiency, uh, which is just, that's exciting. Um, data is, it does tell a story. And, but also what we're seeing in our classroom is the solid literacy foundation that has been established for these kids. And I, I'm excited to get to see what this cohort of kids fall first grade data looks like. Um, because I feel like if you just go back to our brains, their brains are pattern seeking, meaning making machines. What do, what do you think that they're going to be doing this summer? They're going to be exposed to um, words around them when they're out and about in the community. And I, I just really believe that they're going to continue to grow because they have become proficient within their letter sound knowledge. I'm letter sound proficiency. Um, there's a, I think we really, I need to really be clear of there's a difference between letter sound knowledge and a letter sound proficiency. Um, and I, I believe our students, they, they have solid knowledge of letter sound proficiency and, uh, they can use their letters and it's just really exciting. Um, let's see. Yeah, so that's where the data is at, 99%. I mean, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's so exciting. 
You, you all should be really, really proud of yourselves, of course, and the hard work that you all have put in this year. Um, I could keep asking you all questions for like three more hours, <laughs> but um, I won't because you all are still at school and probably want to go home. <laughs> um, so we're just going to wrap up today. Um, if each of you could just tell a big takeaway that you've had from this year, something that you want to make sure that our listeners hear um, and anything that you want to just make sure that that you get to say before we leave today. Erica, go ahead, start us off. I think that my biggest takeaway, I'm, I am a very much of a by the books type of a person. Um, and so kind of referring back to something that I said earlier is, is all about go slow to go fast. Um, you have to do that if you want your kids to be successful in future reading. We want to make sure that we're building that strong foundation for them and um, not making those excuses, kind of like what Kristen was saying, just making sure that we uh, are going slow with all of our kids, even those kids who want to go fast, uh, allowing them opportunities to practice those times when they are going to have to go slow. Absolutely. My biggest takeaway is that everything we did this year, Laura, you kind of mentioned it. I kept feeling like this is so easy. They were these tiny little moves that we made just to make sure that they had everything they needed to be successful. And it wasn't hard. Um, it wasn't like we needed a thousand more resources or we um, couldn't be flexible with the resources we had. It was just that collaboration of working together, having questions not knowing the answers, but trusting each other enough to make some steps to move forward to really dig in and help our kids. And I have told my team this so many times this year. This is the first time in my 20-year career where when I see a kid read a book, I can go, I know exactly <laughs> what you don't know. And that's why you can't solve that word. And that has really just like shown a light on all of this learning around phonics and the English language that I think a lot of us would really benefit from. Yeah, I can go next. Um, so I had a couple of takeaways. Um, one of them was just that teaching sounds and the phonological awareness skills um, are really builds a strong foundation, I feel like. Um, and it gives kids something just to anchor their literacy learning to. So it's super important to kind of start there. Um, and then my second one is just the power of collaboration um, and collaborating as a team and utilizing your speech pathologist is and a part of that team is really helpful um, because I feel like that we each bring something unique to the table. Um, and I feel like a whole team approach can really make a difference in problem solving and providing like the best education to the students. Kind of to go along with that, that last year, as I've, as I was learning independently and getting to share some things here and there with the team, I kind of felt like a chicken with my head cut off. I, I was coming <laughs> back into my classroom and I, uh, last year and I wanted to get to implement things, but it, it was that day as I learned something in the evening and I wanted to go and apply it in my classroom the next day. Well, this year, it just, it just is work that we have done as a team. Um, it has allowed us to have a common vision and for us to stay focused on the essential and crucial work that uh, we wanted to take place. And the power of that is that we can replicate this. And um, it and it can be replicated in not just our school, but all schools. And 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 that's what we want is we want kids to to, to learn to read. And, um, and so 
just like you said, we don't need to have all the fancy resources. Would we love more decodable books? Absolutely. Yeah. Like <laughs> sign, sign us up for more decodable text. So can yes, some printer out there get on please, that, please? Please us up with some more decodable text because, um, then it, because that lends itself to the practice that kids need, need sure. to do. Um, but just just setting that sense of urgency of, I, I love that go slow to go fast. And that I can't remember who it is that said, go as slow as you need to, but as fast as you can. And in, in my mind, just creating a sense of urgency of, okay, I'm going to squash out any of excuses that are coming in my mind of, oh, this baby didn't have preschool. Okay, this baby didn't have preschool. I'm going to start out with some focusing on sounds and just having conversations and listening to them as they're playing with their peers and making sure that they're pronouncing words right. And if they're not pronouncing words right, point it out to them because they want to be able to to pronounce that word accurately. Um, Meeting kids where they're at and having a common vision and a sense of urgency of these are our non-negotiables. These kids, we need to establish phonemic awareness and we need to establish letter sound proficiency. that power of collaboration is huge. It's exciting. I'm looking forward to next year of getting to work together to collaborate and learn, continue to learn and grow. Yeah, Erica. I also just wanted to add to, I was definitely on the fence about trying it too, especially as a former teacher of the higher grade levels. I wasn't sure. I knew that there needed to be gaps um, that there, I knew that there were gaps that needed to be filled, but I didn't know how to go about that. But I, I really didn't think that this was like the way to go with it. Kind of like Jackie mentioned earlier, I did not think it was possible to teach kids like every single tiny part of every <laughs> single word, um, but they really do take it into their own hands. And so if there is anybody listening who is on the fence about that, I would just urge you to give it a shot, um, especially alongside your teammates too, because that does make a huge difference. Absolutely. Well, thank you all again for, I mean, I'm just so impressed by all the work that you all do. You guys are amazing teachers. I love how focused you all are on like exactly what your students need. And then this collaboration is just amazing to hear about. And um, we said it last year, Kristen, that we were going to bring you back at the end of the year (laughs) to see what happened next year. So I say we say it again, like, let's let's see what happens next year and have you back again to hear what happens. Yeah, what can happen? That would that sounds great. <laughs> Wants to be a yearly check-in with Kristen and her team. <laughs> no, but seriously, thank you for all that you all do every single day, and thank you for sharing it with with our audience. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and I just I just want to give a, a big um, thanks to all of the people that have gone before us, and I'm just thinking of researchers, parent advocates, um, educators, and Emily Hanford. I I mean, I I gained so much knowledge from her and all of the individuals that have podcasts like this. So I I think of it as, as I'm driving in my car, I get to have um, passengers like David Kilpatrick come in my car because of (laughs) podcasts like this, or Emily Hanford sitting in my passenger seat, teaching me as I'm going about or listening to, I'm going to botch his name, Stanislaw Dehan. And I mean, just hearing 
all of the wonderful, amazing work that of individuals, researchers, and neuroscientists, and and just how bringing that work in, um, it doesn't need to be uh, a fancy wrapped in all package. What we need to have is a common understanding, and and that's what I I hope educators understand is. I'm going to share one more story. I know you're cutting me off, but here we go. Here it is. So an understanding of this, how way back in the day, how did counter, how did bankers identify counterfeit money? Well, they identified counterfeit money by studying the real thing. They can identify the parts of a real hundred dollar bill or whatever it is. And then they could call out a fraud. And, and so with us having a common knowledge, we can call out lessons like, absolutely, I am not going to teach my students to look at the beginning sound and guess at a word because that goes against the brain science and how kids' brains learn to read. I'm not going to have them guess at words or do a lot of skill drill with sight words because it's not how their brains learn to read. That we need to develop um, and and. We need to develop the left side of our brain, the left and and make all of the connections within um, the left hemisphere of our brain so they can develop their reading brain. And so I, I just am so thankful for all of the individuals that have gone before us within studies and um, doing podcasts like this. I really appreciate you, Lori and Melissa, because um, you've You've brought passengers in my car as I'm driving to school or heading home, and I've learned and gained so much. And so thank you. Yeah, thank you. Now you're going to be passengers in other people's cars, (laughs) and they're going to learn from you. (laughs) Well, thank you all again, and we can't wait to talk to you again next year. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. Thank you you. so much. Thanks for listening, Literacy Lovers. We release a new podcast episode every Friday and share more resources in a newsletter on Tuesday. Sign up for our newsletter at literacypodcast.com. Each week, you'll receive important information, resources, and connected content. We're excited to create a space for community discussion about our podcast. We want to connect with our listeners and support you in answering your questions. But we also realize there are a lot of other educators out there who have great advice and experience, too. Let's keep learning together in our Melissa and Lori Love Literacy podcast Facebook group. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. If the content in this episode helped you, share with a fellow educator and teacher friend. Our Literacy Lover community welcomes educators at every stage of their learning journey. We're so glad you're here to learn with us. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the Melissa and Lori Love Literacy Podcast in this episode are not necessarily the opinions of Great Minds PBC or its employees.